Welcome to Daily Confidence for Entrepreneurs. In this episode, we will go over how to use licensing to grow your business and generate wealth, how to increase cash flow and confidence by partnering with an organization that serves your target audience, how to formulate licensing partnerships by packaging your knowledge and experience into intellectual property, and you will watch me get exposed and coached by my dear friend, Shadid Elazer. Welcome, Shadid. How's your day going so far? Life is good. It's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to share this time and space with you and those listeners of yours. Let's get into it. Fantastic. So, gang, if you're watching or listening, as usual, please make sure you like and subscribe to the show. If you have any questions, uh, put them in a comment on social media. And if uh, you know someone that could benefit from leveraging their time and licensing their knowledge and expertise, tag them in a comment and or share the links with them so they could tap into Shadid's um, uh, knowledge and professional expertise that he's been spending a lot of time to accumulate and and learn and practice. So um, what else? Uh, Let me do the proper introduction here to Mr. Elazer, and we're going to dive into a very interesting conversation. Shadid Laser is a Maryland-based U.S. Navy veteran and content licensing strategies strategist who created a business model that was licensed by 17 U.S. states and utilized for a government re-election campaign in a multi-million dollar exclusive licensing agreement. Experts and entrepreneurs hire him, hire his team to help them convert their intellectual property into a license-ready curriculum that is sold to corporations, universities, and government agencies. That sounds really good. This increases recurring revenue for the business and solves the problem of the time for money exchange for his clients. He is a graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program and currently serves as a program ambassador. Welcome, Shadid. Great to be here. Where about you are you, brother? I am in sunny Maryland, um, about 20 minutes from Washington, D.C. at the moment, and uh, feeling good and ready to discuss this interesting topic that applies to your audience. Fantastic. So um, what's the weather like out in uh, Maryland? Well, um, Maryland's a place where, you know, Monday you could be ready for the beach and it can be 90 degrees and literally by Wednesday, you can have on your winter coat. But at this time, we have a, uh, a period of weather that is um, summer-like conditions. And so when that weather appears, you have to jump on it and enjoy it. And that's what we've been doing. Fantastic. Sure. So, Shadi, let's dive into it. What is your story? Oh, my goodness. I am the product of the do-for-self mentality, uh, self-employed um, family members. And so from the earliest uh, times, we, no matter if grandma uh, was, uh, let's say, a cleaning lady uh, for at condominiums and uncle was a chef and uh, aunt worked at a bank, when we all came home, the whole idea was to build for self. So what you learn at a company you bring home those skills and transfer them into some form of uh, self-employment, wealth generation. And those were my earliest examples. So family is the first business 
is the uh, first pillar that I uh, live by. Bloom while your planet is another in that wherever I find myself, I always look for uh, opportunities. And so to profit in, is to reinvest would be the third pillar in that uh, when it comes to my work, my business, and uh, what I do, strategic philanthropy is a part of what I do. So when I earn a dollar, I look to reinvest. One of my uh, most, uh, let's say, prolific campaigns would be the uh, 100 Classrooms campaign where we uh, redevelop or modernize uh, classrooms um, to prevent digital illiteracy and combat, let's say, give kids a chance to learn in 21st century learning environments. And so that's my story. It's family, it's um, partnerships, it's reinvesting into communities through the knowledge, skills, and abilities that I've been blessed to have. Love it. I just learned a bunch of new things about you, about your family, uh, where you grew up, which I did not know about you. And I really like what you said about strategic philanthropy. Could you expand a little more on that, if you don't mind? Well, so what I was doing before I met the great Tom Matson was uh, I was doing, let's say, philanthropy based on the agreement, the unspoken agreement that doing good for your community means that you must take this oath of poverty, or let's say you must give and feel bad about receiving. And so what strategic philanthropy is, is attaching a philanthropic vehicle to your profit center in your business. So it's using a, a goal. So instead of us forming a, a partnership together where the goal is to generate um, 1 million uh, Canadian dollars, we say, let's reinvest, let's build uh, or redevelop uh, 500 classrooms. And so when you switch the, the goalpost to say, here's the outcome and the outcome is for the greater good that we define, this allows you to feel good about the sales aspect because when you sell, a portion of those proceeds are going to uh, a cause that you support. So everything from the rainforest to, uh, let's say, building, uh, let's say, community farms to redeveloping classrooms to providing scholarships for uh uh, disadvantaged youth. These are all partnerships and all projects that I've used business metrics in the form of events, in the form of conferences, in the form of launches to have a goalpost at the end where the goal is for us to come together to provide a result that improves the world. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, that's a great, great uh, concept and a great way to look at philanthropy, especially if you do it strategically to, you know, build it in your profit center. So you're, I guess, making an impact out, uh, out there and helping others while, you know, it's helping you and your business as well. Love it. So what do you do these days and who do you serve? Well, what I do these days is I focus on uh, licensing in the world of intellectual property. What I, I realized in my journey, which includes helping uh, thousands of people take ownership of their careers through establishing a uh, personal brand, 
My very first business uh, was a uh, tech or well, is a technical writing company uh, that originally started with helping military vets. I took those experiences and applied them to uh, business. And what I realized is that one of the missing pieces that I didn't realize in the beginning was the, the magic of intellectual property. Anyone who is ultra successful in some way, shape or form is doing business leveraging their uh, intellectual property. So in, what I focus on is building business development around intellectual property. So what separates what I do from, let's say, an intellectual property attorney is that an intellectual property attorney will protect, will register, enforce, let's say, your intellectual property and or registered trademarks, copyrights, etc., what separates what I do and what my team does is that we start from the inception of the idea, whether it's a skill set, whether it's a talent, whether it's, let's say, a concept or a business model, and we build the business plan around that. Good luck going to an intellectual property attorney and asking them for a business plan or asking them to help you develop content. That's where the, uh, the bridge between myself and an intellectual property attorney comes into play is that we develop the ideas. And once it's developed to be uh, profitable, then we partner with the agencies, universities, and corporations that we've built relationships with since uh, 2008. So there's always, let's say, people coming to the table, organizations coming to the table to say, what business leaders can we partner with? And in the wake of the pandemic, there's more, let's say, uh, opportunities for uh, entrepreneurs to partner with those corporations through their content signature programs. And we provide the uh, bridge in the development for that partnership to take place. Love it. Do you are already, uh, you must be partnering with uh, intellectual property attorneys uh, and work with them, right? And like, oh, yes. Um, that's where. Um, a lot of the, uh, I got into to licensing accidentally when I was in the military mm -hmm. in that we, uh, or during Operation Enduring Freedom, which was the uh, attack on 9-11, I created a training methodology around a software and that training methodology helped my department to get above, let's say, the marks needed to, to be in compliance. That training methodology was given to the other departments, which landed me a Navy Achievement Medal in a time of war, which is an honor. And so taking that lesson, I took that, let's say, knowledge and went on to different projects. But what I was missing was the, um, the, the big picture. And so intellectual property attorneys started to come to me and say, well, we have a author, a coach, a speaker, so on and so forth, who has a profitable program, but they are missing the pieces. So they, the, the concept of make this license ready is where I begin to uh, stand out because I have active partnerships with IP attorneys, but they don't specialize in the content development and they don't specialize in the business development. So when I create content with, uh, let's say, licensing in mind, it saves the client uh, tens of thousands of dollars because there's less rework once it reaches the negotiation phase with the corporation or the university or the agency.
Love it. I, I mean, at the moment you mentioned that my, my marketing mind, mind I, was, I was just exploring ideas to like create a list of all the intellectual proper IP attorneys and then reach out to them and uh, <laughs> offer you help. But you're saying they're already coming to you anyway. Well, so. it's, a, it's a large world out there, Mustafa. And I'm sure um, you know IP attorneys that I do not. And you have relationships with people that I have yet to meet. So that list of people uh, can easily be made. So again, if you're watching or listening, an IP attorney, intellectual property attorney, would be a good referral for my friend, Shadid Laser. Right. And very profitable for you, dear yeah. viewer or listener. Absolutely. Like, uh, I'm sure you do. Uh, you have a referral program and an affiliate program and the rest of it. Yeah, right? We can uh, pay lots of bills through our referrals. We can so, I'm, and I'm thinking a big problem that you solve is that some people license their IP, but they don't do anything with it. Like, they're not monetizing their oh. intellectual property the way they should. Well, let's let's go specifically into the, the the problem that that we solve here. And so, before we even get into to licensing, and before we get into you know trademarks and IP, let's just think about someone with experience. So, someone out there who is is uh, tuning in to the program has experience. They have tenure. They've worked in a, a company, or they've been self employed for fifteen to twenty years. They know their stuff. They can do dissertations, thesis papers, speeches, webinars, in their sleep, little preparation. They have referrals, they have testimonials, they have a track record. However, they look at the Instagram hotshot or the social media influencer who has the audience, who has the perceived uh, revenue and the success, and they say, why not me? And so what I help them solve is the frustration that takes place when you have knowledge, when you have tenure, when you have experience, but that experience is not equating to a robust bank account. And so when your bills are you know, calling you and they want to be paid, but you are unable to monetize and you're exchanging so much time for money, that's where I come in to say, let's package your ideas and knowledge into intellectual property, because what people don't realize is that an idea in itself has zero value. It only has value when it's packaged into intellectual property. The moment it's packaged, it becomes intellectual property. If you tell me an idea, it's, uh, let's say, has zero value, but I help to develop it. And once it's developed, it steps outside of the expert themselves and they're able to negotiate, they're able to monetize, they're able to ultimately license and partner with others. And I just show proven methods to do that. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, so you were in the military when you discovered the, the content licensing um, idea it, to begin with. Am I, am I correct on that? Oh, it was a total accident stumbled upon it it fell from the sky and hit me in the head and so i didn't even know it was licensing at the time and so it wasn't until years now the licensing process took place but i didn't realize that is what was happening and so it was when i, I went back and looked at my life's journey i realized how uh, let's say licensing has been all around me and so i i earned a Navy Achievement Medal, and I had no idea 
all I was looking to do was be valuable in a critical time. Now, as I move forward in consulting and uh, let's say contracting, like I said, I'm 20 minutes from Washington, D.C., the mecca of government contracting. And so I use licensing by partnering with prime contractors for for the listeners. These are the people who are the lead for uh, a contract with in doing business with the uh, government. And so they may have services that they need. So let's take a common example. Let's say we have in a, a uh, contract to deliver, install Microsoft Office on 500 workstations. Uh, and this is the contract. So just to give a basic example, I would come in and say, well, you have the contract because it's public information. I would say, who is delivering the training for the workers or employees once the software is installed? They would say, oh, I've never thought of that. I didn't think that far. I was just trying to win the contract. And so I would partner with them in developing the training model, the training curriculum, packaging the idea, and come in uh, on that project and license the training, give them permission to use it. And I would do that for contract after contract after contract. And so my reputation began to spread. Interesting. What are some common <clears throat> examples of, uh, and I want to get to back to that government topic later and talk about, um, talk about it later, but what are some common examples of licensing that we see all around us, but we have no clue what they are. Okay. Let's, let's, let's use some common examples here. So we've all been to some form of schooling at some point, whether it's elementary, high school, college, graduate. And so what most of us don't consider is who produces the, the textbooks that we, we spend thousands of dollars on throughout our career. And so this is one of the most common licensing examples that exists in that licensing is so lucrative that companies are established just for the purpose of doing business with educational institutions. So the Rand McNally's of the world and many other companies, they establish or they create textbooks that are licensed to universities, oftentimes in non-exclusive deals. So if let's say the University of Toronto, for example, and let's say Baltimore City Community College are using the same textbook, that means it's a non-exclusive licensing deal. Another example would be church. And so if you go into a church and you may see the, the King James Bible, you may see a, um, a hymn book uh, of, uh, let's say, church songs. How did those books get into the churches? And so the publisher of the, the, uh, the King James Bible and the publisher of that particular hymn book have a licensing deal with faith-based institutions. And so that is why you see uniform Bible hymn book at Catholic churches, Baptist churches, all across the um, the world, and so those are um, two uh, extremely common examples. Where um, let's say, I, and I'll give you a third. Those of you who tune into Netflix, every Netflix movie you've ever watched, every Hulu movie you've ever watched, they are examples of content licensing deals. In fact. Uh, the biggest, biggest expense for Netflix um, was licensing 
original content for its channel. The expense was so high that they said, how can we cut the cost on this? And that's where shows such as House of Cards come from, where you would see on the um, the intro, this is a Netflix original movie. And so that is why them. they started to create their content more or less in-house using their own productions, uh, equipment, so on and so forth, because the cost of licensing or getting permission from a content creator in hosting it on its network uh, was their greatest business expense. So those are three examples of licensing, whether it's, uh, let's say, scholastic or educational, whether it's faith-based or uh, entertainment with um, Netflix as well as Hulu. Very interesting. Um, tell me a little bit about your process and who do you work work with? Well, um, like what is an ideal or the typical type of clients that you work with? Well, typical type of clients tend to be um, experience, meaning um, 15 to 20 years of experience. In some cases, I do work with um, social media influencers who are looking to leverage or cash in on their ability to build an audience and they need to create the curriculum. It's a bit easier for them to have um, licensing agreements because they already have the audience. And But in typical cases, is people with tenure and experience, so 15 to 20 years within a given industry or uh, work experience. Age-wise, tends to be uh, anywhere from 40 to 65 because these are people who are experienced. They've, they've uh, been around and they're looking to capitalize. And so uh, many are running uh, small organizations ranging from uh, two to 10 employees. That can be a mix of self-employed, contractor, or full-time employees. Uh, Income-wise is, is typically um, multiple six figures on up to um, seven figures. And in most cases, they're seeking to develop the educational engine or what I call the, the student economy model for their business. So they understand that the consulting part or the service-based delivery of their business is working and is generating revenue. However, the cost of generating that revenue means they're missing out on their daughter's recital or they're working late or they're in the internet cafe on vacation and they want to detach from the day-to-day -day and start to build that let's say, um, revenue on autopilot through the delivery of courses, programs, et cetera. What sets me apart is that when they come to me and say, I want to um, sell my courses or create a course, I tell them, why are you going to, let's say, chase after clients and get on calls to try to enroll people into uh, a program when a uh, an organization has your same target audience and they're already serving your clients at scale. And if you simply provide the textbook, whether that's a course, whether that's a, a physical book itself, or it's some form of program for them to deliver at scale, that's where licensing comes and becomes a bit more powerful. So um, that would be the 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 makeup. So. There are some social media influencers. There are some outliers of people who are able to generate an audience. But for the most part, it's people who have experience, who have um, success and are looking to capitalize on that success and run their business in a more leveraged way. Love it. So you help them 
create the IP as well, or do they have to have that IP already, like in a form of a course or training or uh, you know different types of formats, and then you help them, uh, uh, you know, license that and get it out there? What do they have to have in place to begin oh. with in terms of their IP? Good question. And so, what I would say they need is an established business in a proven way to deliver results. So if someone is an established service provider and we can take, let's say an accountant, for example. So, so if someone is an established accountant, they have a practice and they've been delivering, let's say training results, have testimonials that gives us a foundation to work with. Do they need, let's say uh, the intellectual property already developed? The answer is no, because when we, look at the intellectual property, we run it through our license ready checklist. So most people uh, lean on their own understanding when it comes to creating a course. And so the uh, curriculum design or instructional system design is oftentimes left out, meaning they create the program based on their understanding without the understanding of learning styles, learning development and curriculum development. And that's what we bring to the table when we develop the IP. And what sets us apart is that in many cases, we already have, let's say, organizations or content and media buyers who are looking for content. So we're creating the content or the intellectual property with a buyer in mind. So we're not guessing, we're matching or mapping what the service provider has to what the needs of the market are because we already have these relationships and we're involved in these conversations on a regular basis so what this does is it shortens the curve between i have a desire to license and i have an actual licensing partnership for the people that are thinking like i'm running a business i don't think i have any licensing thing to do i don't i don't have any ip to to even think about or, or or you know work on what do you say to those people i say that it's you need to um basically learn content licensing fundamentals and so one of the biggest misconceptions uh, that occurs with especially um, service-based professionals and experts is that they completely undervalue the the importance of their own creations. And so if you are able to deliver a service that transforms or provides value or saves time for a targeted or defined group of people, then you have a, uh, let's say, intellectual property that can be packaged and ultimately licensed. And the reason why is because all licensing is is identifying an organization, a foundation, a uh, let's say a group or community, agency or university that has the same target audience that you can deliver that value for. The only difference is, and what the audience needs to understand is that organizations, communities, foundations, corporations, agencies don't create their own content. They outsource it to small business north america in most cases and so when they outsource there's oftentimes educational institutions again that are established to provide that need why because it's so lucrative why is it so lucrative because 
agencies, universities, and corporations have the budgets to pay for it. And so instead of chasing clients, especially during this time where clients are dealing with inflation, clients are dealing with competing priorities. Do I pay uh, my necessities or do I pay a coach or my, my clients? Um, corporations, agencies, and universities have budgets, have funding to um, uh, pay for this. So what I, I always tell people who have that misunderstanding is that, again, companies do not create their own content. They have direct channels to outsource, to have content created. And the only thing you're missing is the direct path to have those conversations. And once you have licensing partnerships, it allows for you to um, have revenue on autopilot, which is uh, will free up your time and the credibility that you gain from partnering with a university or corporation helps to uh, is the ultimate referral source or testimonial and helps you to land more business. Got it. And I think we already touched on this, but would say, would you happen to have like a checklist of different type of IPs that businesses already have and they don't know about it or they're not aware of? Well, when we deliver our uh, intellectual property uh, strategy call, uh, that is one of the uh, key, let's say, um, deliverables that we provide for our clients is when we sit down and they uh, fill out our assessment, I can listen to and observe uh, by reviewing their brand, what they have in motion, what the gaps are, and uh, what needs to be packaged in order to create profitable IP. I, I can't stress this enough. If you... To give you an example, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, many people believe uh, grew his fortune through being some sort of real estate mogul or you know investment mogul. And he'll tell you flat out that um, he failed in most of the businesses that he launched until his 40s. It was uh, the work of Sharon Lecter who uh, when Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a pamphlet that was going to be used at trade shows she came to him with the idea of packaging his intellectual property into the Rich Dad, Poor Dad franchise in education backed by a licensing strategy is exactly what led to, let's say, Rich Kid, Poor Kid, the cash flow game and building that intellectual property empire where it could have just been a pamphlet. But when that vision was applied to it, it became a best-selling book. It became a board game. It became a franchise of audiobooks, training, workshops, seminars. And that's the difference between understanding your IP and putting a price tag on it and simply just creating content or just working with clients. For sure. Could you give us, um, and that's a great example uh, that you just brought on, like Kiyosaki didn't become rich out of writing a book or doing, uh, I guess, uh, real estate where the way he made it, he basically... Uh, did it through content and uh you know licensing and and the rest of it um could you um share um, an example too of type of customers that you worked with like here's what they had here's what we did in the kind of uh an over overview of what happened with them sure so let's say um okay um I will share, well, we will say her name is Susie. 
and okay. Susie is uh, based in Canada. Mm-hmm. Susie is a marketing coach. So she teaches marketing to uh, business owners who um, lack the budget to hire full-scale marketing teams. And so what um, Susie was able to do well was um, package what she uh, knew into uh, courses, into group coaching programs. But what uh, Susie ran into uh, was um, some tough negotiations in that, in many cases, um, women are often given the short end of the stick when it comes to negotiation and pricing. And so she was in a, uh, let's say, a partnership where her signature coaching program was vastly underpriced, $47 per seat, or let's say 47 Canadian dollars per seat. And so what we were able to do, yes. So what we were able to do is um, repackage what uh, Susie brought to the table. Uh, Susie had an intellectual property attorney, still does. And, but some of the, the terminology in her deals were based on legalese and not, let's say, licensing negotiations. And that's one of the, the things I want to touch on as we go into this. And so what we did was uh, we identified what her target avatar was. Although she was in business, she had some degree of success. It wasn't laser focused. So we identified who exactly she needed to uh, work with or uh let's say who she uh, received joy working with and who was actually paying her. So those, the, the marriage of those two. And so then what we were able to do was go through her Rolodex of uh, let's say media buyers, um, decision makers, people who can uh, say yes to an offer if presented with something that was uh, valuable. And so once we are able to, let's say, take care of those steps, we developed not the content, not the program, but the, the proposal for that to uh, come together. And so we went through uh, some of the Rolodex. By the time we made it through uh, about uh, 40% through the Rolodex, we found two candidates. And so uh, one candidate was for a large agricultural uh, firm and who had, let's say, um, a group of information workers who needed her techniques in order to uh, continue with their jobs to be more effective. Within their work, they needed some of the marketing techniques in order to uh, share that agricultural uh, message within each uh, specific uh, center. Uh, and so what we're able to do is negotiate uh, this uh, particular program. Um, the big challenge was the mindset was giving Susie the permission to operate on a world-class level, meaning uh, we were able to take her signature program uh, and I don't know what the, the the percent increase was, but I know we went from um, roughly, um, it was $47 per seat or um, 2,000 Canadian dollars up to um, 47,000. Uh, for that particular program, uh, which included a um, incentive clause. So there's a series of metrics that we negotiated if 
let's say there was an increase in revenue if there was an increase in engagement along these certain metrics there was an additional bonus of twenty-five thousand uh canadian dollars with a built-in negotiation or let's say um a built-in uh continuation clause into the next year so um yes um we were able to to put together two deals with the first i'm going into detail so what we're able to do was to price her program on let's say uh, a higher level we are able to save her time in that initially she wanted to be the face of the brand and so what i was able to share with her is that when you install let's say an educational model in your business you can be the face of the brand but the delivery of the training is through your uh certified instructors so the back end of that is that she has a paid certified instructor model where self-employed professionals who lack the ability to generate leads on their own and they need revenue are able to come in and deliver modules and teach throughout the year and they're able to earn a living while uh supporting uh Susie's model and allow Susie to be the face in that she leads the kickoff call she leads the um, outros the graduation so on and so forth and so that's a a, a detailed dive into uh, a client result that um still ongoing and very happy with love it so she went from 47 dollars to forty-seven thousand yeah. dollars, and she has a licensing deal which i give i'm guessing she is getting paid on a recurring basis was it a one-time deal or is it a recurring revenue type of model oh recurring revenue most yeah. licensing that well that i negotiate uh is going to be uh recurring uh revenue so um on a per seat meaning if you have let's say 500 students then each student's value is you know x for example and also for um let's say specific milestones within that deal so it could be quarterly it could be based on uh when certain metrics are accomplished so there's numerous payouts through the the uh terms of a deal love it um do you have example of people uh, authors that have books that are doing nothing with because i know a lot of authors are starving is there like an example of how authors could leverage and license the their their books and um you know uh turn turning in into a a better revenue or lead generation strategy well i'll give you an example of a licensing um model that i was a part of and um, didn't realize it at first. So uh, the Napoleon Hill Foundation, um, of course, uh, have the uh, Think and Grow Rich franchise. And so I formed a partnership with um, uh, the richest uh, caterer in the state uh, or the, the city of Baltimore, Maryland. And so what he has large scale uh, banquet halls that he wanted to transform or to repurpose into um, spiritual learning centers, whether it's financial, whether it's you know prosperity, um, so on and so forth, healing modalities. And so um, he um, purchased the license for Think and Grow Rich because you can't, what people don't realize is that you can't just take a book that you like 
and buy 10 copies and teach it to an audience, there's a, a license, there's a special license that you have to get from a publisher in order to do it legally. And so when I was able to look through the um, curriculum in that I was a business partner and also the, um, the instructor or facilitator for the, uh, the training itself. So I was able to take that curriculum, teach and distribute it. So if we take your question and reverse engineer that if you are an author and you have, let's say, a book that um, let's even if it's uh, fiction, I'll go into a fiction example briefly. But if you have a nonfiction book or business book, yes, that book can be licensed to an organization to uh, provide value through um, to that audience. Now, for fiction, I have an example of a client who is a phenomenal fiction writer who is um, 73 years old. And so um, she got into writing late in life, later in life. And so, but she had a vision to deliver writing workshops for after school programs. So her vision was to teach young ladies, um, teenagers, essentially, how to become better writers, creative writing. And so she, we created a, a series of workshops on creative writing that started out being delivered virtually, but then we found an after-school program that used her fiction book in order to drive home the concept. So let's say her book was used as the textbook and then examples were created for the audience to create their own characters, create their own storylines and plots and let's say um, cliffhangers. And so that the book was the example that allowed them to work on exercises to be better writers. Love it. So let's 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 work on uh, on my example a little bit, if that's okay. I am actually um, I am turning the content of my course, Simple Marketing Formula, which you've been to, um, into six different books, and I'm starting with the last one, which is uh, Simple Retention Formula. Okay, and so. Basically, the knowledge and, and what I'm sharing, I'm turning it into a book. And then what I'm what I'm thinking of doing is have the book and have the training that I share it with people as an additional bonus. So people could read the book and do the training. And my intention is into turn that into kind of a lead generation uh, model uh, or tool per se. Um, what should I think about or is there anything i should be thinking about that i'm not or what's your feedback on that okay mustafa i was i was hoping you would mention uh simple marketing formula if you didn't i was going to segue to it anyway um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that good of a program and so i would say what you're missing from your equation is you're looking at the scenario based on what you alone can accomplish there's too much I and you in um, this equation. And okay. so when you think about lead generation, you're bringing people into your, let's say, organization to transform them. And what mm -hmm. I want you to consider, because I've, I've, I've been to, I've been a speaker at, at Simple Marketing Formula. 
I've been an attendee two times. So I, I know the, 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 the curriculum here. And so what I want you to think about is what is the global impact of simple marketing formula? You have a transformational vehicle where people can leave with a fully done marketing plan in a number of days. That is valuable. And so the question becomes, number one, who, what organizations are delivering marketing content or business development content or business transformational content? So once you make your list of 25 businesses, whether it's through Greater Canada, whether it's through North America, whether it's through the UK, these are the, the general footprints that I will focus on. Next, I would make a list of 50 people who are either joint venture partners, influential people, or who have some form of tenure at universities, agencies, organizations, and map the two. So organizations and influential people. And I promise you, if you go down that list with the Mustafa charm, with the creating a one sheet, uh, so we take a standard joint venture format, um who it is who is it for um the delivery model and don't think of it as mustafa's delivering the training think about who my certified instructors are to deliver the training then you can plug in a facilitator at an organization to deliver it and so the next thing you do is you go to facebook or you go to linkedin and you say um instructors needed i'm looking to train the next generation of simple marketing formula certified instructors i want to bring on the pilot program for simple marketing formula and this is a monetized uh, model so it's not a free uh, training you bring people into an information session you lay out exactly what simple marketing formula is the beauty is that's already done and so it's the difference is that is not you delivering is you offering the opportunity for mm -hmm. people to learn your methodology, deliver your training. You give them a one year license and also uh, they pay you uh, a fee anywhere from uh, $19.97 to $49.97, depending on where you are comfortable uh, within that pricing model. And that's the let's say the trainer trainer model and from there uh, what i want you to focus on uh you have let's say domain protection of simple marketing formula but you need to look at the trademark for simple marketing formula for the curriculum itself i would recommend that you copyright the uh, actual training itself and that's what i would focus on i wouldn't focus so much on lead generation for people to become students I will focus on enrolling certified instructors to teach simple marketing formula and give them a pricing model for them to buy into. Every quarter, you want to deliver a, um, a call where you walk through what's working with simple marketing formula, allow people to pitch, so on and so forth, in order for them to uh, gain value in being a certified instructor under the Mustafa university and so if, if you take this approach it will make your life a lot easier uh you will uh, have a revenue model 
that will allow you to monetize what you've already been teaching for a number of years already. And the people that you allow to become certified instructors, here's the magic of it, is that by them going out and teaching it, they are essentially becoming advocates and they're like spreading seeds around the world. And within your newsletter, you want to mention that um, you have corporate training available and that corporate training is where the licensing will begin to come into play. So update your website, update at the footer of your email newsletter, put corporate training and schedule a social media post every two weeks where you uh, mentioned that uh, corporate training is now available in a in different, let's say, variations. So spin the words, but um, that's what you do. Okay, so um, I love the model that you just laid out. Okay, but here the, the reality is that I'm not doing that training anymore right now. We're focused on the done for you uh, call center with the okay. follow up. Uh, calls that, that we fix the follow-up problem so um the reason i i thought of that i was like well i have the content i might as well put it out there and provide value and help find prospects and people that we want to work with right um uh, is there anything that we could be doing there um is there any licensing or anything we could do there with the content and the book that um, um i already have yes well the the reality is that i don't want you to do the training either and no nowhere in let's say what i just shared was mustafa should be doing the training that is the the beauty of licensing is once you create it 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 has a life of its own once it's intellectual property you have the intellectual property but it's not being applied to target audiences that can take it on and teach it. That's where the gap is, the certified instructors. Now, the, the simple, so it's leveraging what's already created and applying it to target audiences that need it and hiring someone, certified instructors to deliver it. So that removes you from that equation. Now, with simple retention formula, yes. It's the same concept in that you have a, a let's say, a proprietary uh, system for organizations to increase retention, whether they are event hosts, whether they are, let's say, webinar hosts, whether they are um, possibly uh, podcasts. There's a number of uh, use cases for a simple retention formula. So, again, it, the, the simple uh, whatever it is formula uh, should have, uh, let's say, an umbrella trademark, and it should be protected from an intellectual property standpoint. You mentioned six different books, so this is essentially a franchise. So you should mm -hmm. think protection first, but I would offer, in your case, since it is a model that is rinse and repeat, and it's a process that is um, continuously delivered, I would look into the licensing aspect for it because the process itself, the business model itself, is intellectual property and when you say how can this be packaged and taught there's target or there's organizations who are looking to teach their employees a the best way to retain uh comp or uh to give you an example uh let's say michael gerber for example in his whole let's say e-myth 
is exactly the model that is being licensed around the world. And so the E-Myth franchise, whether it's E-Myth Contractor, whether it's the, the original E-Myth book and all the different, let's say, uh, iterations of that is the exact same thing. In your case, you're doing simple blank formula. So whether it's uh, retention, whether it's marketing, you have your own proprietary E-Myth. And so instead of thinking of how can I deliver it to businesses or clients, the big, the quantum leap for you is how can I find organizations who serve businesses and a, a chamber of commerce would be the first place I would start not becoming a member, but becoming a, a partner or a, a service provider or a vendor of uh, that particular organization so that simple retention formula can be delivered at scale. And instead of selling to one business, two business, three businesses, selling to an organization that has 500 businesses within its uh, Rolodex or within its subscriber or, or content list and charging them for the privilege to do so. Got it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Food for thought. Food for thought. Good for thought. Hmm. It's a bigger yeah. game to play. It is a bigger game. And uh, like you said, I got to work on protection of what we have coming. Yes. Uh, the logo. Uh, the logo is unique. Um, and as you mentioned, you have a whole franchise that you're building around that. And, the, you know, there's people who are watching this broadcast and there's people who aren't who have similar ideas and the person who uh, acts first oftentimes in let's say a court of law is going to to win the rights to uh, continue forward and so um, the, if there's any lesson that I, I have to share is we as business owners leaders etc have to be diligent about protecting the value of our ideas. We come up with remarkable ideas that uh, can change the world or change, let's say, the scope of, let's say, where, where we have influence. And oftentimes it's a parent company, a larger company who comes in and is able to take the idea because they understand right away the value of IP. Fantastic. Love it, love it. Shadi, could you tell us about your gift digital asset execution plan, please? Now, we've discussed intellectual property. We've discussed packaging. And so the question becomes, where do you start? And so a digital asset allows you to take an idea and begin to package it to serve a target group of people. And so the digital asset execution plan is a step-by-step -step checklist that has built-in support, which means... You can click a link, which opens up a messenger window or a Twitter direct message and receive direct support from myself or a member of the team so that you can continue forward on your path to capitalize on the ideas that have been shared within this broadcast. Being talented is not enough. Having good ideas is not enough. Packaging what you know is the key to separate yourself from the time for money trap or exchange. Can I add one more to that, if you don't mind? Sure. 
and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm going to sound, uh, I don't want to step on your toes, but I think you got to have the package and then you're going to act on the package as well. Just having a package is not going to get them to what they want, I guess. Well, um, I, the reason I say that is like I have people coming to me asking for a strategy and a plan, and if they don't implement it, they're not going to see anything. Oh, you're 100% right. And so um, that's where not leaning on your own understanding comes into play in that when you work with a professional, they're able to map what you've created to an audience and a strategy for launch. And so if you whether you uh, have a simple retention formula and you you put that to work in your business or you take what you know and you begin to license it the result is uh, reaching the finish line versus creating and resting on your laurels after that 100 uh, I, I was uh, chatting with uh, dan kishal this morning and he called it return on, impl on implementation Hmm. So there is a return on planning, return on, on, uh, on different aspects, but there's a, the, the, there's also return on implementation. And so, yeah, like you said, we could, you, we could think all day long. You could have ideas all day long, but if you're, if you don't implement, then it's not going to happen. Exactly. Love it. Um, where can people find, uh, reach out to you or find out more about you? Well, um, I would say the first place to start is uh, to use the link in the description for the digital asset execution plan. Reading tweets or YouTube channel, um, it, it can only get you so far. So I'd like for you to start with uh, taking the next step and actually building something. Digital asset execution plan will allow you to do so. Um, but if you're the type who wants to read social media, then uh, Mr. Shadid on all platforms. Love it. Love it. So and they can find you on uh, Facebook, tw Twitter, LinkedIn and the rest of the. All right. Great. Gang, if you're watching and listening, get access to uh, Mr. Shadid's digital assets execution plan. This guy knows his stuff when it comes to licensing and intellectual property and leveraging your knowledge and all the IP that you already have to create new streams of income on a recurring basis and make a bigger impact around the world, if not in the country and if not global, then certainly in your city or in your province or state. Right now, uh, Shadi, can I ask you a couple of questions personal sure. before we, we wrap up? What's a new thing you've tried recently? Hmm. Well, um, new thing. I cannot tried... include your newborn. Oh, new, <laughs> new, new thing I've tried recently um, would be um, trying to make a chicken pot pie. Now, um, this was based on um, being inspired by an excellent chicken pot pie at a local restaurant. And um, so some of the, the details of the texture of the pie versus what temperature the, the chicken needs to be and uh, how the, the sauce distribution between the meat, uh, how much uh, vegetables. Uh, so it, it's a continuous work in progress. It's a science. Exactly. And I'm thinking um, that a new, another new thing you've been exposed to is your newborn baby. Congrats on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, um, what's it called? Uh, do you have a boy or a girl? Uh, boy. Love it. And what did you name your boy? 
Uh, Imani David. Love it. Imani David. That's amazing. You got a beautiful family and you're a family man and you're a serious man. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like that about you. Um, what are your top favorite books of all time? Oh, my goodness. Um, top let's two see. Or three, maybe? Uh, well, um, The uh, Alchemist would be one. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see. Um, the Dr. Robert Anthony's Formula uh, for uh, Success. I probably uh, have read that book a, a million times. Um, the Bible. Formula for Success? Yes. Um, okay. Dr. Robert Anthony's uh, Advanced Formula for Success. Uh, the Bible. I've read that quite a bit. Um, I would say, uh, is it the... The Prince uh, by Niccolo uh, Machiavelli. Um, there's a book. Um, ah, it's a, a book on uh, karate. It's um, ah, it's escaping me that I've been reading lately. Um, I want to run to my bookshelf and get it right now. Um, and also, um, the Four Hour Work Week would be uh, one that. I've I've read in book form, audiobook, and um it's one of those books that you read now, understand later, or you realize that certain concepts are, are working uh in life. Another would be um Soul on Ice by um Eldridge Cleaver, which um is a bit more um social justice book that was written in uh sixties or uh seventies. It's called Sold on Ice. Soul on Ice. Soul on Ice. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. What's one advice that made a massive impact in your life or business? Bloom where you're planted. Say that again. Bloom where you are planted. Tell me more what you mean by that. Well, it means no matter where you may be, um, there's a saying that says, no matter where you go, there you are. Um, uh, and so no matter where you end up, you know, make it happen. If you are, you, you start off at the bottom, boom, like you, you may start off somewhere, but it doesn't mean that you have to end there. Uh, you may, um, start off with certain disadvantages. That doesn't mean you have to accept them. You may um, be in a, a losing fight. Uh, you may be winning at the time, but find a way to always increase your position and to do your best. Love it. Shadid, if you had a Facebook or a Google ad where everyone around the world with access to internet could see, what would your message be for the people of Earth? Love conquers all love conquers all love it simple to the point Shadid, is there anything that you'd like to add that we didn't get a chance to talk about before we wrap up we all have a gift we all have knowledge we all have a talent and it's up to you to understand the value of your impact to the game that you love to play. 
And so you don't have to be an entrepreneur to uh, have intellectual property. In fact, the most exploitative intellectual property relationship is between an employer and employee. When you leave a company, you don't take the project plans and different deliverables you created for the company with you. They stay with the company and oftentimes they you sign paperwork where you can't compete with that company for up to a year. And so understand the value. And when you understand the value of intellectual property, it changes the rules of engagement with companies, with partners, with businesses forever. Love it. Thank you very much. This was this was very valuable. You shared a lot of good content, a lot of good information, and I'm grateful for that. Grateful for having you as a friend. Um, gang, if you're watching or listening, do reach out, have a conversation with Shadid. Uh, I mean, the guy's got a great heart. He's a family man. He's a serious businessman. I've known him for about three years now, and uh, uh, nothing but goods to say about him and nothing but good that I've seen from him or have heard about him. He will help you uh, one way or another. And I'm sure if he doesn't, he knows people uh, that they do. So do reach out, uh, click on the link in the comments or the descriptions of the show and oh, go to mrshitty.com and uh, get a hold of him, reach out on social media, have a conversation. And uh, uh, it's one of those things that I, 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 you know, before I chatted with him, I was like, I don't think I have anything that I should probably license or, you know, uh, work on it. But, uh, you know, it, people like him make a difference and can help you succeed in more ways than you can imagine and think of. So thank you for joining us. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and share the episode with other people who who do have intellectual property that they could license and and uh, take advantage of that. And we'll go from there. You've been listening to Daily Confidence for Entrepreneurs. My name is Mustafa Hosseini with my guest, Shadida Laser. Have a great day, a great weekend, and we'll see you on our next episode. Bye now.